Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. The iPad really shines when I'm trying to use it like a piece of paper. And the place where a piece of paper that you interact with right in front of your face and with a pencil tool, like the kinds of, the kinds of applications that would come to mind are things like sheet music, documents, seating charts, things that are like usually on the music stand in front of the podium at the front of the room. Welcome back to another episode of iPad Pros. In this episode, we're joined by Robbie Burns, who's a middle school band teacher and host of the Music Ed Tech Talk podcast. And we dive into all sorts of things, including what the role the iPad plays in helping him teach class and how he uses it during private music lessons. We dive into a lot more, but those are kind of the big overarching topics of this episode. With that said, I just want to remind everyone that you can now financially support iPad Pros in two different places. First off, patreon.com slash iPad Pros. Get episodes early and with embedded MP3 chapter markers by supporting the podcast at any tier. Bonus content is also available at the higher tiers. You can also now subscribe to iPad Pros in Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts is an all-inclusive single subscription You'll get all of the bonus content plus episodes early by subscribing to the show in Apple Podcasts. By default, subscriptions are monthly, but if you go into your subscription settings in the Settings app, you can switch it to a yearly plan. My thanks to everyone that currently or has in the past supported the podcast financially. This podcast is not a quick one to produce, and your support is greatly, greatly appreciated. You can also support the podcast for free simply by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. No matter your region, it really does help. The reviews help send the right signals to Apple to show this podcast more in search, helping others discover the show. If you have a minute today, I'd really appreciate you opening up the podcast app and leaving a review. My thanks to everyone that has already done that. And with that, here's my interview with Robbie. Enjoy. Welcome back to the podcast, Robbie. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. Uh, I am, I was just telling you before we hit record, it's like the middle of two of the busiest weeks that I anticipate having this school year. And there's not a lot of free time, but it's nice to take a minute and just be a nerd for a second and sort of reflect on how I'm using technology. Yeah. Uh, as uh, people have heard the past episode, we did an episode covering the release of Dorco and Sibelius for iPad. And you are a middle school band teacher. And that means you are... Um, doing all sorts of Christmas and holiday music this time of year, which uh, I just had so much fun with as a kid uh, doing that, that stuff. Yeah. There's, there's uh we, we actually just had our winter concert, uh, one of three last week. And uh, we have one or two coming up. I'm only uh, responsible for directing a group in one of the two this week, but my co-director is doing one the other day. And uh, so, yeah, it's just lots of, um, you know, it's just lots of long days, but they're, uh, if I could describe my fall as a teacher, sort of returning back to in-person learning after a year of mostly virtual, um, we're keeping our heads above water. Like it's just nonstop work and busyness, but like we're not worn out or burnt out, if that makes sense. We're just kind of always in motion. Yeah. Is there a certain song that you've just, you the kids have so much fun with that uh, stands out from your repertoire this year? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. So we actually don't do at least i don't do a ton of holiday music on this concert because traditionally we have had a fall concert and then a mid to late january concert ah, so this is okay so i'm just really in a habit of not thinking about that for the <laughs> first concert of the year but we did it i don't know if we call this our when our normally our second concert would take place and it's early or if we consider this like just a really late fall concert i'm not sure where that is but uh my students are mixed you know they have um 
there's just a, a variety of repertoire I'm throwing at them. And I, I think hopefully I'm choosing a, a, you know, a wide enough variety of music that, um, you know, everyone has something to love. So, you know, my, my different groups respond differently. You know, my younger group is, um, mostly sixth graders. Some of them are brand new to their instruments. And even those who are not have only really ever had a half of a year of in-person instruction. And they've never done like a big band. They've never like felt what it's like to play in a group of over 20. So, you know, they're now in like a big 50 to 60 person band and they just love everything I put in front of them. Cause they're like, yeah, band, this is like the thing. Uh, so, so it's kind of fun to yeah. experience, you know, what it I, I, this is the kind of thing that an elementary school teacher usually gets to experience you know that first band concert and i feel right. like because of the conditions of last school year i kind of get to see and feed off of their energy about it what was teaching remotely like as a band teacher like i imagine you can't uh have rehearsals over zoom very effectively or could you no no yeah. i think um I, it's funny i'll i'm gonna i'm gonna brilliantly connect this to the topic of the iPad because yeah um we're going to be talking all about you know some of my personal uses of the iPad in the workplace I guess in a little bit here and um you know the teaching online really uh drove me toward back towards my Mac because of the so- just simply put like the flexibility of the software and the operating system and how I needed to push every app every utility to the limits in order to make these virtual lessons engaging because you know these are these are we're using google meet as our platform and you know the kids can't really play in sync meaningfully so right. uh, i had a lot of music i threw at them and i had to make a lot of play along content so whether that was um tracks that they would practice warm-ups and scales along to or like a professional recording of a concert piece that we were working on and i would pump it through the speakers using mac software like loopback uh and, and then, you know, they would play along. I, it, it's my role as director was really more, I, I joke with people that it, I was more of a spin instructor and uh, just kind of hit and play on the next track, but trying to keep a pace that was refreshing and mm-hmm. exciting for them, even though they were not really getting the feedback of other musicians in the same room. Right. It would have been a perfect time to introduce abstract, uh, you know, music to them. Um. <laughs> yeah. So we did, I'll, I'll just, you know, not to be too self-referential, but I'll, give you a link to something maybe you can put in your notes. I did a podcast interview with a composer named Alex Shapiro around, um, was it in the summer? I forget when I actually interviewed her, but late in the last school year, I implemented, she did, she wrote a curriculum that is based on the premise that uh, all performing artists should compose. And the curriculum is really, really well suited towards any kind of learning environment, but it's especially great during virtual learning because the whole thing happens asynchronously. And the the mm-hmm. really short version of this project is that kids compose little short motivic kind of like fragments of music and then record themselves into software, play in their composition. And then I take all of those little snippets of music and distribute them to the class where they then kind of like in a digital audio workstation, like create kind of a musical collage out of those little snippets. Well, that's cool. Yeah. And that is cool because it gets them performing. It gets them composing in sort of multiple layers, like for their instrument in traditional notation, but then in a DAW to kind of do the final part. And they're, you know, they're doing everything from using the loop library of Soundtrap, which is a great web browser based digital audio workstation. Um, you know, they're using like the loops in there. They're using the uh, the editing tools. You know, it's kind of like having GarageBand running in a tab of your browser. So 
it's you know it's great that we had access to these kinds of tools you know we didn't have um, a notation or a digital audio workstation application for our students until we went virtual and now these are things that it seem it would seem like that we're going to have at our disposal uh going forward and yeah they're just they're great utilities you know it's crazy you you could not do this kind of thing in a web browser 10 years ago no no not at all no it's wild that that's even possible we talked back uh, a couple months ago july august i believe um sibelius and dorico and i just want to touch briefly on sibelius um because we were talking about it they've got this huge roadmap planned out for their product and um we'll see where they go and the next five updates are gonna be huge and uh, we've got got two of them. We have iPhone support and MIDI keyboard input, which is something that uh, I complained about because that's the primary way I input notes into a music notation app. And it's uh, what they call step entry, which I'm not familiar with what that exactly is. Um, um, have you played around with any of these yet? So um, I can I can comment on the iPhone. I, well, I can comment on MIDI. I haven't used it myself, but I've I've yeah. done a little bit of digging and reading and i mean i think that um and are you familiar with step entry like how uh, sibelius traditionally does midi input well i mean i uh, the term step entry i is not something that i have a like it's not i don't know what they mean when yeah. they say that in sibelius <laughs> but i have used sibelius with a midi controller before okay and um from everything i've, I've read and seen it, it would appear that the ipad version is is not that different from okay. using a desktop. Um, I, I haven't used it. I, I might be speaking out of turn here, but I mean, I think it's definitely like it was one of the the pieces of low hanging fruit that uh, was missing from the initial Sibelius launch and having it adds a whole lot of utility. I, I mean, have you been experimenting with it? I know it's not your primary notation editor, but um, I know I many controllers. Yet. I've just been too busy um, with other things. I do want to play around with this because that that's the primary thing that I had uh you know, beef against with Sibelius. It's like I can't input notes properly. <laughs> yeah, and I've had I've seen some people online kind of throwing some shade at the whole iPhone thing. Here's my take on the iPhone. Like, okay, no one no one is gonna write the next great symphony on their iPhone. You can like, write a solo. And um if you have like a Pro Max, uh, get a little uh I wonder if the MIDI keyboard works with that over Bluetooth in some way. I wonder if that's iPad only curious i i i'm i would guess that it can that's just my guess yeah. I, I don't have the research in front of me yeah open, i guess if you have the I mean, um camera connector kit i think that would work with an iphone for usb devices i don't even know um, well even bluetooth i mean the the cme x key which is the portable yeah, bluetooth would, mini would controller work, i, I like yeah yeah i mean that works great over bluetooth um i've used that with my iphone before so cool yeah it, you know I, and, and the thing is this is like even if you're not writing anything at all um, there, I think we've all been in that situation before where the only thing on you is your iPhone and someone is asking you a question and you need to just reference a document real quick. Like I don't, I don't really use the files app or pages or numbers or keynote super often on my iPhone, but every now and then it's really handy to be able to open a document in one of those apps. And in the same way that like Fourscore is not primarily used on my iPhone. It's great. Like the other day, my iPad was dead and I was teaching some private lessons and you know some some of my younger students play really simple music that can be you can zoom in and it scales fine on a small screen I just pulled up Fourscore on my iPhone and it now has iCloud syncing across devices so I pulled up the exact piece they were working on and yeah put it on a music stand and read so so like just the utility of having it is good yeah in college I would walk around in my pocket with a little tiny notebook 
and I would scribble out staff lines and scribble out ideas I had of uh, a melody or something. And yeah, seems like this would be handy just for little short ideas you have and you want to put it somewhere. Or just even to someone says to you, like, you, you just, you're just thinking like about measure 20 of a particular piece, you know, you have like in a Sibelius file somewhere and just not having to wait until you get to your computer. Like exactly. From your pocket, just taking it out and seeing, oh, yeah. there it is. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I do not throw shade at the idea of having pro apps on the iPhone, but I will also say that I'm not the type of person who's going to make stuff on them. No, I want at least an iPad screen or bigger. Like, I just need that for... uh it's not healthy for my eyes to just have this screen so close to my eyes because it's too small a screen to any other way I work with it. Right. Um, yeah. So it is really good to see Sibelius on this fast upgrade cycle of their app. And I'm curious to see where, what else they're working on because they, they mentioned there's a lot of stuff that they're building out. So this is this is good. Um, I mean, this was definitely the promise of having software like Dorico and Sibelius running on iOS is like now that the foundation is laid, you can see a potential future where now everything, you know, desktop versions and mobile versions are sort of all benefiting from these programs being everywhere. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So uh, before the show, you mentioned that your Mac was actually down uh, as you got a new Mac and it's the M1 uh, X. M1X or whatever, M1 Mac or Pro. I've got and the, yeah, the 14 inch M1 Max com- computer. Cool. <laughs> That's yes. the one. Max Macintosh computer. Uh, so, Migration Assistant was being all finicky, and you basically had your iPad as your one and only computer for about a week. And how did that uh, time go for you? It was, it was great. It was, so for me, COVID and online teaching really forced me back to the Mac, so to speak. And, I just really returned to it as my primary computer that I would use for work. And it's, you know, I have the, my other computer is the 16 inch. So it's a little big. It doesn't have an incredibly portable feeling, but it is after all a laptop. So I can just have it on the couch or move it to whatever room I'm in. Um, it's it's five or six years old. So the battery would, will not sometimes live more than like 10, 20 minutes. But uh, the, the, my point is this, like I, you know, it, it became for, for whatever reason, um, you know, just kind of like the thing I would turn to. And then the iPad, um, you know, I would use it for things that it was good at, like annotating with the Apple pencil. I would do a lot of like streaming my iPad screen with air server to the Google meet classes I was teaching. But again, the Mac was really just like the central uh, point of all work. So I just kind of got built up some habits around that. I sort of also like moved to Ableton live as my digital audio workstation, which works really, really well with the Ableton push, which is an uh, external um, MIDI controller, which can kind of control almost every feature of the application. So I've just, yeah. So I've been like using that when I'm, when I have it parked at my desk and just lots of like reasons have had me using macOS. So uh, that being said, before that switch happened, I was really trying to have the iPad be an equal window into the same information as the Mac. I was trying to you know power use the iPad to the point where I could live off of it. And certainly releases like Dorico and Sibelius over the summer make that one step closer to possible. But you know the Mac just has things like uh, OBS for streaming and things like Air Server, uh, the ability to like you know re- really good like external monitor support, so I could have like my window of all my students' faces on one screen and then have all the stuff I'm streaming to them on the other screen and then yeah. a clear division of labor. Um, so, you know, it's funny, like when I realized that I was going to have to take my brand new Mac into the shop and that it was going to put me out of a Mac for a few days, um, I thought to myself like, wow, do I, do I really, you know, it's been like an over a year since I've been an iPad power user TM or 
whatever yeah, you yeah. want to call that. Um, do, do I still have the chops? And yeah, I mean, I it really, you know, it really went well. Um, I just, I feel like all of the, the muscle memory came back, you know, using um, multitasking to kind of like have work between both screens. You know, I, I've kept using a lot of... Um, apps that are you know similar on the ipad as they are to the mac so you know get it using spark mail um google drive more recently devon think uh, obsidian craft like some productivity apps that help me to just get basic logistics done like communication and uh planning those are all the same as on the mac and they sync the data over so um was i a little slower yeah i mean like i've had multitasking is not quite as slow but because there's only like one or two things on the screen at a time uh, I was finding a, a new, a renewed focus <laughs> in the yeah. way that I would follow through on certain tasks. Like, okay, I've got email open in front of me right now and just email. So let me just crank through a few of these and not get distracted by the little, you know, menu bar app icon that just turned red mm-hmm. with a notification or something like that. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And you're on a 12.9 inch iPad Pro, is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm on the, the 2018 model. With the Magic Keyboard? With the Magic Keyboard and the Apple Pencil. Yep, cool. So yeah, the trackpad is a thing now. <laughs> yeah, that makes it. That's that really goes a long way with things like email. Although I found myself touching the screen quite a lot actually yeah. this week. Um, it just would kind of depend on my mode. There would be there would be times where it would be really convenient to touch the screen, and then there's a, a particular numbers spreadsheet I was interacting with a lot that um where i have a lot of fields that were like the cell type is a five-star rating mm-hmm. <laughs> and we we don't need to get into why that is that this is an important piece of my work but um it's really easy to like accidentally give a star rating when you swipe like you know what i mean like cause yeah. the way that you give the ratings is you can tap on which star of the five you want to put in the cell or you can swipe like kind of slide your finger gotcha um yeah so i was finding that i was accidentally um entering stars a little problematic uh, and, yeah <laughs> yeah so um what i would do is uh i would return to the trackpad for that and then you know no problem no problem gotcha. at all so when you're actually teaching in front of uh, a class a band um how do you integrate the ipad into that environment are, are your scores you're conducting from paper scores and like the ipad's a secondary tool or what's kind of the scenario there yeah this is what's fun about the ipad is that even though i've used it less last school year the ipad really shines when i'm trying to use it like a piece of paper and the place where a piece of paper that you interact with right in front of your face and with a pencil tool like the kinds of the kinds of applications that would come to mind are things like sheet music documents seating charts things that are like usually on the music stand in front of the podium at the front of the room um so it's kind of nice to have usually i'll have like my mac off to the side kind of projecting it's always plugged into the audio system and the projector so that's showing students things that's where i'm like playing audio play along tracks and that's sort of become this powerhouse of like almost like a counterpoint to the instruction where i'm showing things uh visually but also like pumping audio through the speakers to model for them or that they play along to and then the ipad is like kind of my it's more personal it's like the thing that i see and i typically have on the left side of the screen Fourscore, which i mentioned earlier and that is like the app for reading sheet music and when i say sheet music i mean in particular pdfs that are scans of sheet music from the real world there are, there are other kinds of musical formats that you know i know we're aware of things like xml which um 
can be you know opened inside of applications that edit music notation but for simply the act of viewing and annotating sheet music for score is best in class and i leave that open in split view, split view usually on one side of the screen and then on the other i use good notes where i have designed a seeding chart i have a handful of seeding charts i've designed in a program called OmniGraffle, and i export those as pdf and then i have um you know the way that good notes works is it's in my opinion, the best handwritten note app available for the iPad. Um, what I like about it is that there are, there's no like annotation mode you have to trigger. Like if you if you bring a PDF into it, you can just immediately start scribbling on it with an Apple Pencil, like it's a piece of paper. Yeah. And in fact, the the seating chart when I bring it into GoodNotes, it actually becomes a default paper style. So like if I swipe to the left, which is kind of like the gesture for turning the page, the next page will have the same seating chart on it and I can kind of scribble on it. So what I'll do is like every day, I'll just turn the page and I'll have a new copy of the seating chart for taking fresh data on. Do they, uh, are you able to hit a button to timestamp that page so you know what day that's from? I'll just really quickly scribble the date on it. Okay, gotcha. And uh, yeah, and, and the good notes is a great whiteboard as well. So I can, um, I can AirPlay my iPad to the Mac, which is, of course, going to the projector. It's a, a little bit of a, an, a weird chain of connectivity there. But um, then I can you know, animate things, um, show them things that are running on my iPad. Like my iPad also runs the Tonal Energy Tuner app, which is um, one of the last remaining apps that I depend on, on for my life on iOS that does not have a Mac version. Huh. So uh, typically I get around this by having my iPhone plugged into a mixer at the front of the room and then I operate it from there. But I can also show, you know, I can do it on the iPad too and actually show the students what it can do because it's, it's capable of polyphonic tuning drones and metronomes being played simultaneously. So I can like show them, um, you know, have like a couple of different notes droning at the same time and uh, they can kind of like play along and see like with a visual, both an, they can hear, of course, but also see sort of a visual representation of their performance as they play as it relates to the tuning drone yeah uh so that's sometimes nice to be able to stream you know from the ipad to the mac to the projector which is great are standalone um hardware tuners still commonplace in bands i'm not sure if people are just using apps these days whether it's on an apple watch or a phone to do tuning that probably changes based on your the age of the performer, but I'm not sure if those are still pretty popular. I mean, Total Energy does 10 to 20 times more things than my Dr. Beat that I bought in college. Yeah. And my Dr. Beat was $140. Oh, yeah. So, they're not cheap. No. So, like, to tell a student, and it's funny because they, you know, they, they kind of like wrestle me a little bit on it. They're like, well, my mom says I can't buy apps on the App Store. And I'm like, this app is $4. Does your mom not want you to buy games on the App Store? <laughs> or like you have because you know what i mean like they yeah you, once as soon as the the families are like oh this is like an actual like a, a tool like an academic purpose right yeah um then they jump right on board because like for four bucks it, maybe it's not four bucks it might be it's it's definitely less than ten dollars yeah i think it was, it was around four when i looked today it's it's insane what you know, it does it, because it, it's not a standalone apple watch app but if your iphone's around apparently it can like tap your wrist to the metronome beat which is cool. That is cool. And what I like to do is, and we can kind of get into this a little bit when we talk about how this all kind of loops into our hardware setup in the band and orchestra room. But I can actually, like, I'm, I'm trying to spend a lot more time off the podium, like yeah. kind of working around the room. And one of the things I most commonly have coming through the speakers is 
the the iPhone version of tonal energy. So I've got the Mac is going through a channel of the mixer, the iPhone is going through a channel of a mixer, and then I have a wireless headset microphone that I wear <laughs> that is going through another channel, and I can kind of mix those to taste. And yeah, I mean the the metronome on my iPhone can be triggered from anywhere in the room. So if like I need to turn it off for a second and talk to some kids, and I'm like halfway across the room, I can just do that right from my wrist. Yeah. That's super cool. Uh, it'd be interesting if you could program into the app uh, the different tempos of a piece and hit a button to instantly jump to that tempo. Does that exist in this app? Yeah, actually you can. And so this is just another one of those things that you, you can't do with any hardware tuner I've ever seen that's reasonably priced. Um, yeah. In the metronome tab of the app, let's just say you have a piece of music that has uh, one, starts with one measure of 4-4 four, four at like 120 beats per minute and then immediately has like 18 measures of three four at an entirely different tempo you can uh with a fair amount of ease you can customize a metronome sequence that you know kind of just like where you program all those tempo changes to take place and then when you hit play it'll just run through the sequence yeah it's super cool and it has like little smiley faces yet more and more accurate to the pitch which <laughs> yeah which they they really like that i mean I'm, I'm ultimately trying to get them to hear the like if you play if you turn that tuner up loud enough and then you have a student try to play the same note as the tuner it becomes very very clear if they're out of tune because there are beats that result between yeah. the two pitches being out of tune like it, it's you know to someone else's ears they're like whoa whoa whoa, whoa what kind of like an a like a conflict happening right. between the sound frequencies and you can you know you can teach them to listen for that and then adjust themselves to it and that's kind of like the primary purpose of the app and then on top of that to be able to then run a metronome with the tuning drone also in the background at the same time is a a real powerful thing yeah i remember i think it was by eighth grade we were like tuning to i think it was the first chair oboe or maybe clarinet is that something that happens as you guys get older still yeah it is um and and it's it's interesting because you know we kind of use the tuner for that purpose um in our school's before school symphony orchestra we if we have an oboe player we'll oftentimes have them do that just because that is like a little bit more like traditionally commonplace in a symphony orchestra um but usually you know when we do that we have the oboe player try to match a tuning drone first and they definitely have it on their music stand yeah i remember Um, my days playing oboe that is a hard instrument to not uh, you have a lot of flexibility in where your note goes (laughs) very dynamic as far as your pitch yes yes it is so um yeah, so you have to be pretty, pretty good. A uh, sixth grade oboist probably couldn't do that that well at that point. Well, you just keep doing the drones. That's the thing is the drones are on almost one hundred percent of the class time. Yeah, and they eventually they learn to hear it. You know, it has a center, so to speak, a center of gravity, and you know it sort of gets under your skin in a way. You hear it all the time. You you know the way that I do it is because it's coming through loudspeakers. Is you're not just hearing it you're really feeling it vibrate so Mm. um it is something that is like visceral almost in addition to kind of like this this skill of learning to hear the conflict of the intervals you're also just like really feeling it and you know i can turn it up pretty loud i can one of my other favorite things to do is to in garage band um open up a drummer track which is a cool feature where you've got a number of different musical styles and it will automatically you know play a beat uh, and actually each each drummer within each musical style has like eight or nine or ten beats that you can kind of customize the complexity and the the rhythm of and i i just like in addition to the drones will have a beat playing almost all of class there's beats are so much more fun to play along to than metronomes (laughs) oh for sure so um you mentioned in your notes to me you use omni outliner for 
stuff related to rehearsals. What, what is this used for? So Omni Outliner is something I'm transitioning out of, but I'll still tell you why it's great. Um, it is an outlining tool made by the Omni Group. And what I like about it, so I guess an outlining tool for someone who's never used one is basically just... Um, you're just kind of like creating a hierarchical list, but what Omni Outliner allows you to do is the the buttons for collapsing the different levels of the hierarchy are like really uh, tactile and feel good. Unlike I don't know if anyone's ever used the Microsoft Word outlining feature. It's not it's not pretty, <laughs> um, and and I never know like how to click to like collapse or expand a part of it. But Omni Outliner is very intuitive and. Uh, very easy to wrap your head around. And what's cool about it is you can actually, like, they have a whole lot of options for customizing the styles of each level of the outline. And what I really need is, you know, the iPad is fairly far from my face. It's on a music stand that I keep set pretty low. And so what I'll usually do is um, I'll have my four score on one side of the screen. I'll have good notes with my seating chart on the other side of the screen. And then in a little slide over window, I can kind of slide on and off the screen and outline. And even though the width of the Omni Outliner document that my lesson plan is in is not much wider than an iPhone, um, I can customize the level styles to be really, really big and like these giant vibrant colors that pop off of the iPad screen okay. and are legible from far away. Yeah, that's handy because, yeah, that would be an issue just being able to see. That's something I realized as I got um, you know, as I got older, like all these conductors with these really tiny staffs on all these scores, like how do these old people see that these scores so well? It's, it's remarkable. Yeah, it's it's definitely something that I've had to tweak a lot to get just right. Now, lately, I've been actually using Craft for this purpose mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes Obsidian. I'm having a little bit of a like internal struggle between Craft and Obsidian, <laughs> which are two... I don't, I don't know if you're planning to get too much in the weeds on this kind of category of software today, but... Um, you know, these kinds of like personal knowledge management apps, apps that are good for writing and note taking and sort of like so flexible that you can just sort of think of them as like, you know, you can honestly, you can do everything you, anything and everything you'd want to in them, everything from tasks to notes to writing. And um, I've been doing a lot of writing in these applications since August and have found that um, craft also has a really nice outline view. Unfortunately, you cannot make the the levels of the outline quite as visibly striking as you can okay. in Omni Outliner. But because I'm doing so many other things in Obsidian and Craft, it kind of just makes sense for me to keep all my data in one place. And uh, what's Devin thinks use for you? Um, Devin think is like research. So there's a lot of things that surround the topic of music teaching. Um, and of course, you know, I have a blog and a podcast that I where I talk about the intersections of technology and, and music teaching. So I'm always just kind of collecting like websites and articles and things and just trying to clip those to a place where I can find them later. Okay, gotcha. Um, for, for school, sometimes I'll want to like, like what, what's great about DevonThink is that it's an everything bucket. So it'll take almost any kind of data you'll throw at it. Um, so like a, a lot of times what I'll, what I'll want to do is like, let's say, okay, so like we're, we're planning um, a, a trip to our March band assessment. And typically in the band assessment, there will be like emails coming from our district music supervisors. There will be like seating chart documents that I have to share with them so that the stage crew can like get it right. Uh, there will be emails back bouncing back and forth between parents. Maybe there are like some field trip permission slips that have been signed and scanned. Um, scores, rehearsal notes, to-dos, tasks, and websites maybe. Like a lot of this stuff, I can just kind of create a group, which is what Devin Think calls a folder. Yeah. And I can create a little folder in Devin Think and then I can take all these varying different kinds of data and I can throw them all into the same bucket so that I can see them within context of each other. Like the finder on the Mac is great, but it's like, you know, 
there are certain kinds of files that it can find, and there are certain <laughs> kinds of things that it cannot yep. find, and it cannot it cannot find a website. Um, it can you can put an email in the finder, but what I really like to do is just kind of create a group in DevonThink that uh, just allows me to categorize all this data. And the cool thing is, is that you can archive files from the file system in DevonThink as well. So let's say that like I do have like maybe I have a seed, my, like my seeding chart. It's made in OmniGraffle. Well, that lives just like in a folder on my computer called like yeah. seeding charts. So like DevonThink can look at that folder in the finder and depict all of its contents to me inside of DevonThink and then like link me to them. So I'm, it's kind of like I'm, I'm just creating a trail of breadcrumbs. Like I have all this like disparate sort of like data everywhere. And then I'm DevonThink is like one of the tools I use to, um, you know, see it all in the same gotcha. container. Yeah. Cause I, I, I thought that Obsidian had some overlap with DevonThink in some big ways, uh, with the linking, you know. Oh, they, the oh well, they do. Linking, because <laughs> uh, you can link to any file and stuff in DevonThink. I think it's right, and so based can, on the same mechanism, right? Right, and so can OmniFocus, which is the to-do app that I'm using. So, right. like, you can kind of get this interplay between and, and Craft Craft Two, which is similar to Obsidian and um, Things, a very popular um, Apple, you know, for Apple products, like another great task management app. Like all of these apps have this kind of like sense of like creating a local deep link into something. So if I have a task and I'm writing a note in Obsidian and I want to have a reference that'll take me straight into that task in the to do app, I can just like copy a link to that and then put it anywhere. So what I'll do is because all of these apps have this feature, I can in Obsidian, which Obsidian, if someone has not used it, is really just a nice app that um, looks at a bucket of text files in your computer and it just you know it has a lot of nice features for wrangling text files. <laughs> i don't know how else to say it it does it does quite a lot so i'm trying to be simplified here but it's it's kind of like a, a note taking and writing it's a, you know it's a text and writing environment that is looking at a simple folder of text files but where you can sort of like um you know there's like a community of people who are adding features to the app through plugins and all sorts of things. So, but what's cool is that like, you know, I can't go into that bucket. Uh, like, like I can't find a text file on my computer's hard drive and create a link to it. But because Obsidian is looking at that bucket of text files and an Obsidian file can have a link to it. <laughs> yeah. I, I can create a deep link to that. And so, and it, and it works both ways. So like I have um, an Obsidian note that represents uh, most of the projects that I have that I'm managing right now. And so like, and it, just to use my band adjudication and assessment as one example, I will have an obsidian note called, you know, pro, like adjudication assessment dashboard. And that will link me to the project in OmniFocus with all the checkable to do's. It'll link me to the group in DevonThink with all the related files. It's just sort of a place I can go to find all of the stuff related to that task. Very cool. Yeah, that sounds great. I have not much experience with Craft or Obsidian. I am uh, very much into DevonThink though. It's something that I started to use quite a bit this year um now that their ipad app has uh improved greatly it it has yeah and and i you know i'll admit that like i'm not really effective with DevonThink on ios i do use it there um but i you know i spend a lot more time on the mac with it on ios what i'll do a lot is just clip stuff into it yeah you know web sure. articles that i want to read later um yeah their their share sh extension is really good yeah i like it i mean again you can throw anything into it and I'll, I'll take a lot of websites and articles and you know stuff like i used to have this bad habit of like throwing everything i wanted to check out later in my to-do app and eventually i realized like this is not mentally healthy for me to see all of these as tasks that i need yeah. to accomplish yeah. so 
um, I've got a little group in DevonThink called Check This Out, and that's where most of the kind of ephemeral things I want to look at later go. And yeah, uh, I can look at them if I'm bored, and if I'm not, you know, the world keeps the world actually does keep going around if I don't check out the things in my checkout list. Right. So uh, in band practice, uh, do you create different like resources for your students to bring home and like practice different uh, assignments type thing, or how's that work? Yeah, we're actually using a learning management program called Canvas, which is really common at the, you know, it's like a, in higher ed, it's been pretty popular. And then, you know, this category of software, I, I would say like most schools are were probably already using one of these. But if we they, had the terrible Blackboard back in the day. Oh, it's the worst. Blackboard is, is an example of one of oh, these, but it it's, it's real bad. Can- it was awful. Yeah. And Canvas is also real bad, but it is the least real bad of them all. <laughs> okay. Actually, that's not true. I, I hear good things about Google Classroom, which is another competitor in this space. Yeah. And Canvas, actually, they just copy everything that Google Classroom does well. and But, but like, they add a layer of complexity to it that's unwanted. It's yeah. it's not a fun place. I, I actually, so here's... But in there, you'll throw up stuff you, like, make in Dorico for, like, practice scales and stuff. And... Right. So, so yeah, like, I, I share a lot of, like, sheet music with them um resources information is all going there the actual assignments i give my you know i give to them show up as well the thing about band though is that a lot of assignments don't really like like canvas is built with this idea of sort of combining all these different kinds of data into modules which students sort of work through like almost as if you can take the class completely online um so like a you know a social studies teacher for example might have um, the first part of a module like this, this might be like, um, you know, you might be studying um, World War Two and you might have like a module that's named as such. And then the first section of the module is just a simple static page where you can, mm-hmm. you know, a canvas page can is it's just like anything else on the Web. Like it's sort of like got a WYSIWYG editor where you can add media and rich links and stuff like that. But then your next piece of the module could be uh, an assignment where you give some instructions and then. Um, it links them out into a third-party program like Google Docs to finish the work. And um, and actually, our programs, uh, NoteFlight and Soundtrap, are external tools that work with Canvas. So I can create a Canvas assignment where a student actually clicks a button and it takes them out to NoteFlight, where NoteFlight uh, will either they will like compose using its notation editor, or NoteFlight now has a feature where it'll actually like I will compose the exercise and then what it will do is that when the student gets launched out to it it'll actually record them playing their instrument into the computer microphone and then give them an assessment of how accurate they were in the pitch and the rhythm Hmm. that's cool and then and then what's cool is that it like takes that sort of like it sort of visually represents their accuracy with kind of like this swoopy green yellow and red line and what's neat is that in canvas i can go into something called the speed grader which will kind of like let me tab quickly through all of the submissions to an assignment. And I can actually see that the, this is the power of the web, right? Is like, I can see a little mini note flight web app inside of my canvas web app. As I sort of like page through the different student submissions, I see, actually see it in note flight. So like I can, I did a composition assignment in my general music class a few weeks ago. And I was, you know, we were doing like a like kind of a peer review thing. We were, we were doing like, um, you know, like I was, I was showing each person's composition on the, screen and then we were like giving feedback to each other and i could actually like right from within the gradebook take a note and say like hey as you move this up a step it would have sounded like this and then i like the play controls are all there the editing tools are all there i can like literally edit their assignment from within canvas which is cool in band a lot of assignments are performance based so the assignment 
has absolutely no description and I just assess it in person. And then all they see is how many points it's worth and how many points they received. Like none of it is intended to actually be like done on the part of the student on their own time. Yeah. Okay. Um, Something you mentioned in in your notes is that you use Trello for communication. I'm curious um, how. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So I, my music team has been ever since I've been at my current school, we've had either four or five people on the team and, you know, that's about the number that I think is worth trying something like Slack. So we do have a, a Slack team, and Slack is a communication tool that is um, a little bit more robust than, you know, we do have an iMessage thread amongst ourselves, but Slack is a little more robust. It integrates with a lot of the software we use, like we're, our school system is big into Google Docs. Um, so, you know, it integrates really, really nicely with Google Docs, and we can keep a channel based on different topics. So like we can have a concert channel, um, a channel for general discussion, a channel for fundraiser discussion, a channel for field trip discussion. Uh, I can have like an individual channel with each member of the team. Um, I can have a channel called general music. That's just me and the other band director because she also teaches general music and then no one else has to see those messages. So it's just a really nice communication environment where you can more easily find you know where you last left off and it kind of keeps a little archive and history of the files that you've shared through the service and it's really easy to search and just you know review past conversation and stay on top of things so what trello is is it's a uh do you say it kanban kanban i don't don't actually know something like that the, i don't know it's it's like a list with a bunch of cards sort of yeah it's kind of like a, a view of um project management where you have like sort of like a, a a bunch of horizontal card. Well, I should know. I shouldn't mix the the language up. So you have sort of like these horizontal blocks. In in of those horizontal blocks is like individual cards, which yeah. can represent ideas or tasks. It's a very flexible system because you know you can use it as a to do app where you have sort of like one column is like um, in review, one is in process, one is done, one is archived, and then you kind of like drag and drop these cards. It's one of the most iPad-y kind of uis ever even on desktop it's like but like in a simple way that like like my, my wife will not like touch omnifocus with a 12 foot pole but <laughs> she'll do a shared you know trello board with me because it's just so visually friendly yeah and um and everything is just so tactile like you just it's drag like a post-it and drop board these you're like cards. moving post-its around yeah and it's visually the same way like all you got to do is add a pretty background and then you can attach things to the cards like notes you can have full-on conversations inside of a card relating to that task you can um put url links in it add an image like there's just you can tag it uh it's just a great way to be organized and we have a couple of boards on our music team that represent different projects that we so like one one example is like we um have a pie sale that in past years we have used a trello board to actually not even to track tasks but like um what our orchestra director will do uh he usually kind of heads up our pie sale and like he has in the past created um like different columns in Trello that represent like different pickup times, different windows of time where like, it's hard to explain how many, we sell a lot of pies, (laughs) like (laughs) like numerous hundreds of pies get delivered to our school. And like in about a three hour span, all of the parents of our entire music community have to come to the school and like get these shipments. So there has to be like a fine degree of organization of like, are the different pies grouped in the correct order? Where are they geographically in our cafeteria? So he kind of uses like, has like these sort of like alphabetized lists of like parent names sort of like categorized by like window of time. And then he uses like some columns to manage like which pies 
are like stored in which parts of the room for backup. And it's kind of a nice thing. And, you know, I, he always does like makes it actually functional. And then I go in and do stuff like make a pretty, like, like our, the background for that Trello board is like an apple pie. And so visually it's just really easy to find the board. Um, we do one for our field trip, which is a little bit more task oriented. So like, um, so like, uh, you know, like when a task, like we'll, we'll assign you, cause you can have a task or a card be assigned to a specific person in that board. So like I can be responsible for writing the bus lists and that'll be tagged me. And then when I'm done, I can move it from the in process to the done category so that everyone can see the status of that task. Now, what's cool is that Trello has a plugin for Slack where you can associate a Trello board with a Slack channel. So our Pi discussion channel in Slack has the Pi Trello board associated with it. And, you know, when you install Trello into Slack, it kind of gives you, so there's like some basic syntax you have to learn. Like, I think a backslash plus the name of the board will like do a little pop-up menu that says like, do you want to attach this board to this channel? And then you say yes. And then what's cool is that you can like add stuff to the Trello board right from within the Slack conversation. You can assign tasks to people from within the Slack channel. Like you can kind of just like do everything from Slack, which is really nice. So someone can be saying like, hey, who's going to do the the bus list? And I'll say, I'll do it. And then someone can type, I don't know if this is actually the syntax, but like backslash R burns, um, hashtag, you know, uh, f- fundraiser board or something, whatever the name of the board is. And it'll just like, bloop, it'll just like add a card straight into the board. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. And these are like web web apps. So they work just as good on an iPad as they do on a Mac. Yeah. And um, yeah, the Slack apps, it's not bad on iPad. I've, I've used it before. And Trello, I think, is just, it's, it's so fun on iPad. Oh, yeah, for sure. So uh, for research, you mentioned you use Dev and Think to kind of store stuff. Um, but you also use uh, Kindle and Paper and Readwise. What's kind of like a research hour look like for you? Um, what, what's that experience like? I wish I could say that I ever do it for an hour straight. But, okay, okay, um, yeah. It's just sort of, yeah. I mean, what I do is like that my research is, um, you know, if I'm going to read something digitally, it's probably a book in Kindle or iBooks rarely, but sometimes in iBooks, uh, it's something from the web or, uh, an actual textbook that I put in dev and think, or it's like web content that I clipped into Instapaper or, you know, one of these kinds of read it later, read mm-hmm. it later services. And what's cool is that, uh, there's a nice program called Readwise, which is a, a website that, you log into all you, you you create an account with them and then you log into your Kindle uh, you know you type in your Kindle credentials you type in your Instapaper credentials um, for iBooks you have to like install this weird Mac app that works it's weird that you have to install it but it works really well and you get all of these sources of places on the internet where you would be reading something and then highlighting or annotating and then what Readwise does is it takes all the notes and highlights from all those different services and it sucks them up into a little archive. And it does some cute stuff, like it'll send you a daily email, like, hey, remember this quote from this book on education you read 10 years ago? But what I really like is that in Obsidian, my text note-taking application, uh, there is a plugin created by the Readwise company. It creates a document for every article and every Kindle book that you've read. And then it it makes a bullet point list where it like has the contents of all of the, not only like the quotes that you've highlighted, but then the notes that you've written all in just plain text. And then it creates a link directly to that content in the article or the book. So if I read a book about um, oboe performance and I highlighted some like good little tidbits and I, then I can search that 
in Obsidian, and it's, it search is like real fast in Obsidian because the whole app, all it is is text. Text doesn't take up a lot of space, nor is it hard to search. So yeah. I can really easily search and drill down right to that exact quote I was trying to think of and reference. And then if I really want to, I can click a link and it'll take me into the Kindle app directly to that page where I did that highlight. And it's fantastic to just have this automation of past research just be integrated into the same environment where I'm taking text notes. Yeah, that's super cool. So um, as many band teachers do, they also teach private lessons. I know during during COVID, this is probably done remotely. Um, and this was before FaceTime audio had the, or FaceTime video had the, the wide spectrum mode. Um, like how'd you handle this and being able to hear your students in a way that was decent? Yeah. The answer to that perfectly highlights this like transition from iPad to Mac, because I started back in last, I guess I shouldn't say last March, you know, when, when school broke in March of 2020, um, I had a very hands-off approach to this and I was just like, Hey, everyone like this is obviously out of you know your wheelhouse. Most of you like just do a FaceTime call with me. Don't fuss about gear. FaceTime has pretty good handling of noise reduction by default. Um, it doesn't have any customization, but it has <laughs> pretty good. You know, it makes good choices about how to handle uh, the you know the varying dynamics of percussion instruments. So I would just sit in my sunroom on my phone or my iPad and just have a FaceTime call with my students, and okay. that worked pretty well until the fall when it became very obvious that we were in this for the long haul and i was already working on my virtual teaching setup in my home studio so i just decided to move to zoom for the private lessons and that's when i kind of got i got a little intense you know using obs to broadcast things and um there's a great app i discovered for the mac called classroom maestro which shows a keyboard and a staff on the screen and then it actually like when you play a key on a midi keyboard it lights up oh neat. that key on the piano yeah, that's cool and then we'll show it to you on the staff that's awesome yeah yeah so that became a great visual tool like if a student was struggling with a mallet percussion part like a marimba or a xylophone and i could just like show them like light make the keys light up blue and then they would see like which keys on the keyboard corresponded to which notes on the staff okay um so that, you know, that just kind of like leveraging this using air server to like show music. Like I would often pump four score through the zoom call and then like annotate stuff and say like, Hey, rather than like measure one. And then they're like, what? <laughs> I would just say right here. And I would zoom in really close to where I wanted them to start playing <laughs> and circle it with the Apple pencil. Yeah. No, that's neat. Um, craft is a tool used heavily in this context. Is that right? Yeah. I'm like really pumped about this. So craft as previously mentioned is an app that does, <sighs> People argue about, if, is it really similar to Obsidian? Are they very different? I actually, for me, the way I'm using them, they have a lot of crossover. They're both really good apps that excel in note-taking and text writing. Craft is, is like prettier and more like of a native iPad and Mac experience. It, fe- it feels more like the design of it belongs on your device, um, which, which is you know not imperative to me, but it, it does go a long way. But the thing that makes Craft really stand out is that any document and i'm on the i'm on the pro subscription which is was this past year offered to teachers for free for a year so i'm kind of like riding out this free subscription but i'm like (laughs) locked i'm locked in now because i'm i'm like this is just one of the many ways i'm using craft uh is is how i'm using it in private lessons so any note or, or rather document that you want to share you click a button and then it generates a secret url that you can share with another user so all of this like knowledge infrastructure and like these documents i'm making and these resources 
can not only like kind of network to each other, like, you know, and be interconnected, but then I can also just take a single freestanding document and text a link to a parent and then they have it. So what I've done in craft is every student gets their own document in craft. And then uh, every week that we meet, I create a new line of text that is the date of that lesson. And then what craft can do is you can sort of like embed a little note within a note. They call it a card. And uh, what a card is, is it's kind of like a, a line of text. Craft is, unlike Obsidian, is kind of like block-based. So like you, when you bring in images and text, um, it's got this interface where you sort of can like, like if you, you can like drag a whole paragraph of text, like up and down at the same time all at once, like everything is sort of like grouped together in these blocks. And I can take that block or that, that line of text that says December 5th, 2021. And then I can turn that into a card, which then I can go into that card. And now this is a card that's called December 5th, 2021, but it's associated with the larger document that's the kid's name so it's kind of like i'm creating a little wiki and by giving the student the copy you know like the secret link to just their document that's named after them they have access to all these like sub cards within the document so basically i give every kid a link and i in the lesson notes for each week or cards in craft language um, i embed everything from assignments to resources to checkable to do's just all sorts of like rich multimedia so uh, if a kid is going to, you know, if I want them to buy a book, I'll put a little checkable task in there. And then I'll actually like copy and paste an image from a Google web search into the craft document so that there's no doubt in their mind what book they're supposed to buy. Yeah. Uh, reference YouTube videos, I'll embed right in there. Sometimes if I'm like, hey, you need to go practice this and you're ordering it. But like, here's a, a sample of the first page. I'll like drag a PDF in there so that they can like, you know, have documents and data. And I used to, I used to put a lot of this on my website and then password protect it. But this is just so much that's yeah, uh, easier great. to manage. Yep, it's awesome. That's cool. And the iPad app uh, for Craft is pretty uh, full featured. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm not limited at all when I'm using the iPad version of Craft. That's great. And it's you know it's 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 because of how easy Craft is to use that I'm starting to actually rebuild a lot of my Canvas content in Craft because so much of it is just information. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, an assignment obviously needs to live in Canvas because it connects to this gradebook feature. It can link out to third party software. But things like my band handbook, which just tells kids like what they need and what the expectations of the class are. Yeah. Um, things like music, like sheet music, even um, things like these exercises that I've created for them to play along. Like I can dump all of this stuff in craft. And what I'm in the slow process of doing is actually just taking all information and resources and then just putting it in a giant craft wiki for the band program rather than in canvas, because it's just so much easier to manage and edit from within craft. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you do much with shortcuts and automations in general? I do. I do so much. (laughs) (laughs) Shortcuts. Um, yeah, I, I think shortcuts are, you know, now that they're on the Mac, um, I'm thinking more seriously about shortcuts. I I feel like the shortcuts story on Mac is... I mean, there's like lot, been lots of things said about how buggy it is right now, which... Yeah, I hear it's a um, bit um, rocky right now. It's, it's rocky. Um, but it'll get better. They're working that, on it. So, yes, that. It will get better. And, and the kinds of shortcuts I'm using regularly are not running into the kinds of bugs that I'm reading about. So I'll just say that, for the most part, um, the Mac version of shortcuts is working well for me. It's great to have the automations I made on iOS work on the computer that i'm most of the time sitting in front of and what's uh the only reason that i say it's an untold story isn't the bugs but it's the fact that like you know apple has said that this is the future of automation on the mac 
And there's a lot of other automation tools that I'm used to using that haven't really built in shortcut support yet. And I think once that starts to take shape, I'm going to feel a lot more like shortcuts is my everything kind of like center of automation. Yeah. Like right now there's stuff I'm doing in keyboard maestro uh, and there's stuff I'm doing in, in shortcuts and there's stuff I'm doing in bunch. Like there's all these different kinds of tools, but what would be cool is like, Hey, what if I do what keyboard maestro is good at in keyboard maestro, but then I actually trigger the keyboard maestro macros with shortcuts. So that shortcuts is kind of like my all in one, you know, totally. my one-stop shop for yep. triggering things. Mm-hmm. So that's not quite there yet, but the thing I'm liking the most about shortcuts on the Mac is that you can, you know, you can use the same ones that are on iOS. Like I have a couple, like when I do a, an episode of Music Ed Tech Talk, I have a lot of little finicky steps I like to do. I like to email the guest, you know, with the same email every time. I like to create a craft document with an outline that I share with them. And that's often the same information, you know, like here's my Zoom information where you can find me and here's some of the topics I want to cover and, you know, whatever. Um, I usually create in drafts uh, an, a markdown document, which is going to eventually become the show notes that I'll put in the, you know, in the podcast upload. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, an OmniFocus project that it automatically generates which, where I tell it like, what's the recording date? When do I want to publish this by? And then it'll kind of like automatically generate due dates for all of my different tasks relative to when I'm recording and when I want to have published it by. So I, you know, I do this all the time and it has just been crazy to publish and edit and produce my podcast almost entirely on the Mac and have to take out my iPad, out of my bag, every time I want to run this one shortcut. And uh, now I don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you think of the focus modes as sort of in the same breath as shortcuts? Do you want to move there or did you have? Yeah. Um, so something that I've personally been doing is focus modes almost act as triggers for shortcuts. In fact, I have one of my focus modes. I've got like, I don't know, 15 placeholder focus modes in case they fix the bug that lets you stop adding unlimited uh, focus modes. Um, so one of those is uh, I have a contour focus mode. When that triggers, it changes my watch face to contour and turns on raise to wake because that's the only watch face I really need raise to wake on because it's always on display mode of that face is just garbage. And uh, when I turn that focus mode off, it turns raise wake back off because um, I, by default, prefer my Apple Watch not to um, have the, that behavior. So that's just a weird thing I do with focus modes. Do you... Do you I, I do focus modes with productive things, uh, not just fun things. Uh, but how are you finding yourself using focus modes? And are you automating certain things tied to focuses? And how does that work for you? Yeah. I, that, well, that's exactly the kind of little, like what you just described is like, to me, like using automation and shortcuts and focus modes, like it's all about handling a thousand little things like that than it is like building these ultra mega apps within shortcuts that do yeah. crazy things. You know what I mean? Like I'm not yep. doing like, wild scripts or any of that like to me it's like here's like a two or three step thing but i have like hundreds of two or three step things that um i'd rather ensure that they're done consistently and more easily each time than you know fiddle around so you know like the the, creating an episode of my show one i just described that's like one of the more involved ones um i'm just looking right here in the shortcuts app at my automation tab so i can give you a couple of my own little yeah ones because a lot of them um trigger focus modes or the focus mode being turned on triggers something else to happen because uh, they it kind of works both ways. So I don't know. This is not um, this is not at all related to my professional life, but it's probably one of my most used shortcuts and automations. It's called Good Morning. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry. It's called Awake, and it is a shortcut 
that does a bunch of home related stuff. Um, it will turn. Okay. So I usually run this when I'm like, I, I wake up with my kid. So I'm like walking down the hall to his room to get him out of his crib. And I'll usually run this shortcut then. And, um, it turns on the lights downstairs, opens the blinds, disarms the security system, starts playing nice music mm-hmm. down in the kitchen. It, uh, kind of like r- turns his light on, but dimly a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it kind of like does all these things. It'll open up the headspace app and ask if I want to do, you know, like a, a morning meditation, if I have time for that. And usually no, I don't, but, um, <laughs> you know, it kind of, it, it's all these like home related things that. I would repeat every time. And what's cool is I, I have it. Um, I usually trigger it from a widget on my iPhone, but you know, the Apple watch can track sleep. And if you know, I, it detects that I have woken up from sleep and I'm moving around a lot before I make that trip down to my son's room. It'll actually, uh, I created an automation where the trigger is like, you know, my watch detecting that I'm awake in the morning. So my watch will detect I'm awake. It'll be like, Hey, are you awake? Do you want to stop tracking sleep? And I'll say yes. And then mm-hmm. it'll use that to run the good morning shortcut, which yeah. is nice. My home screen will update when it detects I'm awake and no longer need to be in sleep mode. Um, sleep focus, which is great. Yeah, sleep focus is a good one. Um, let me see. I, I, I'm trying to see how these are organized. Yeah, I've got a handful of like those kinds of things. So like, let's see, what is my... Um, oh yeah, I've got... Okay, so like if, if my bedtime uh, focus is started, then um, it will automatically run the basically the opposite shortcut which is the good night shortcut and the good night shortcut um, has a couple different versions. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is the thing about like my wife and I not always having like our, our schedules in sync. So like I had to program three different home kit scenes that all do mostly the same thing, but are like different in minor ways. So yeah. like um, when I run it, it asks me uh, what is your wife doing? Like, is she, are you both getting ready for bed? Is she already in bed or is she downstairs? And if she's downstairs, I don't want it to do anything with the main floor of the house, but I do still want it to turn off the bedroom lights and arm the security system and close the blinds and turn off the TV. So, uh, it'll do that. And then it'll open a headspace sleep meditation for me and, uh, go into, you know, sleep focus mode when I tap that button. I trigger work focus mode when I get to work. So it, and actually my iPhone asked me if I wanted to do that. And I typically don't like to give up that amount of control to my phone, but I'm going to tell you, this is for anyone who's never used a focus mode. This is definitely, I think the way to start it is make decide like, who are some people you don't want bothering you when you're at work? What are some apps you don't want bothering you? And, and just allow your iPhone to turn on that mode when you get to work using a geotag. And I have found that I am so much more like, I mean, it's, it's in the name of the feature. Like I'm so much more focused when I don't like, I'll, I'll get through like maybe two, one, two, three periods of the day. And then I finally open my email app and realize like, oh, I haven't checked my email all morning long. And I got so much done because (laughs) there weren't little dings going off all throughout the morning. Um, I have a little sensor at the top of my studio steps that when it senses me walking down the stairs, it turns on the studio lights and then it also we have a um, baseboard heating down here there's a great company that makes a home kit thermostat designed specifically for baseboard heaters they're called misa and so the misa thermostat heats the basement to about 70 ish degrees when it detects me coming downstairs i'm jotting this down because we're currently fighting with a thermostat we just got that's home kit enabled and we can't seem to make it work we can power it up with two of the wires but uh it seems that uh, it's just not able to heat our house. <laughs> um, and it's been very frustrating. Uh, we're like, do we hire an electrician to make sure we have the right wires plugged in and stuff? So that one's especially for just baseboard heating, which I think is... Uh, actually, no, yeah. I don't think that's what we have. 
but it's like an it's like an older school system where it's like probably very low power is my guess yeah there's definitely different wires in the back of that thing i'll just be upfront. front I, we paid someone to install a lot of our um like direct wired home automated stuff uh, yeah. we had you know when we when we first bought this house and we're doing some like kind of you know initial projects there were a couple of home kit enabled things like we got some lutron light switches mm-hmm. in a handful of the rooms um, and yeah, those, those baseboard heating thermostats were definitely on the list. So I, I wish I could tell you that I'm a wizard and can answer your question, yeah. but no, yeah, we're trying to figure this stuff out. So, um, it's a process, um, right now I'm manually wiring it and unwiring it when we want heat on and off on the main floor, <laughs> oh, which is fun. Yeah, I totally, I totally hear you. I, well, I'll tell you, I'll have to tell you after, after we're done recording about, um, the saga of like the main thermostat in our house okay. and yeah. home kit because it's a good story, but I don't know if it's what people want to hear. Um, but sure. it involves me spending probably like 10, 15 hours trying to hack our home's proprietary thermostat to oh, lovely. With home, home kit, but like through yeah. home assistant, home kit, and this like weird Python script that this guy wrote who has this exact same problem and thermostat and uses the iPhone <laughs> and all of it sort of like running on a mac mini it took so long to figure out how to get it all to work and then it did work eventually but then became flaky so i don't know whatever Uh, for maybe maybe a story for later um yeah yeah i'm just looking at i mean before i get to like my really like work focused focus modes i'm just trying to see if i have other cool automations like i've got you know stuff happens um when I'm driving, like it goes into driving focus mode. Um, when my battery falls below 25%, low power mode turns on. Um, a handful of other like HomeKit related things. I've got some NFC tags that do cool stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the the work focus modes are really the cool thing. So um, I've got a focus mode for teaching a band rehearsal. I've got one which is just mm-hmm. my general, I'm you know work focus mode when I'm at my desk crunching emails. And then I've got um, a podcast recording focus mode, and then I have a concert focus mode, and I have a handful of others. But those are the ones that make stuff happen automatically on my computers. So the rehearsal focus mode I'll trigger when I step on the podium, and uh, the rehearsal focus mode allows only – it basically uh, only allows my music team and my wife to text me. Uh, It allows notifications from Slack and pretty much nothing else because my music team will sometimes reach me there. Uh, and then what it does is on all of my devices, I have a basically an automation that when it senses that that device has been in, put in rehearsal focus mode, it like runs a shortcut that's specific to that device. So I've got an iPhone rehearsal automation shortcut, an iPad one, and then the Mac is a different story because the, the Mac does not support automations in the shortcuts app at this time. Um, so what happens is I trigger this from the Mac and uh, I have a keyboard maestro macro no i'm sorry i'm telling this to you backwards um when okay when the mac senses that it's in rehearsal focus mode it will run a shortcut specific to the mac that basically just runs a keyboard macro a a keyboard maestro Mm -hmm. macro that does like quits uh, all the apps i don't want my kids to see on my computer screen and then opens my agenda for the day which is usually either in i I, i've recently been experimenting with Dexet, which is um a, a presentation app that generates presentations just from a text document. So I've got like in Obsidian um, a text document that's just simply like a bullet pointed list of what we're going to play. And then the sectional schedule for the day, which okay. is like our, our pullout, you know, which kids get pulled out of which classes to come get like a little, like you get a clarinet lesson once a week. Oh, if sure. you're a clarinet player where are you, mm-hmm. so um, that's all just in a text document. And then Dexet is sort of like, I've sort of configured it to make it that 
text file look like a pretty you know presentation so this um rehearsal mode will trigger this keyboard maestro macro which will close all the apps i don't want kids to see uh open up that presentation put it into presentation mode um and then connect to the audio interface which is kind of like the bridge between our speaker system our mixer and my mac but then (laughs) because sorry this is a mouthful but then because the the focus modes can sync across devices my ipad and my iphone also go into rehearsal focus mode and those two devices support automations where if the phone if the if the shortcuts app detects that it's gone into that focus mode then it can run a shortcut so what those two devices then do is the phone um, starts playing uh, a random piece from a concert band playlist i've created in apple music so just so the kids come into some like you know good sounds of like what a professional concert band sounds like and then it opens the tonal energy tuner app and then my ipad opens four score on the left side of the screen good notes with my seating chart on the right side of the screen and then pulls in my little slide over agenda for the day that i read off of yeah i was gonna ask if like a custom home screen if you had like app icon sets where there are like two apps paired but you just have the shortcut do it for you that's cool yeah i do um i do have some home screen hacks that happen too so like uh well i guess it, do, do we call them hacks if it's a system feature no i guess not. Just, um, i have custom home screens for different focus modes right so i like when i yeah and that and that's a, like a really killer combination it's fun like it's the, amazing you, you know like everything all Having... starts dancing around and lighten up yeah it's amazing having your own home screens for different purposes, and I you are able to use widgets much more uh, voraciously because <laughs> you can fill the whole screen with this huge widget, and it doesn't matter because it's just for that one focus mode. Right. So, like my rehearsal home screen, like I don't need Twitter on it, so it it just puts a giant analog clock on it. Um, I don't use so I do use the OmniFocus forecast widget on my main home screen. But um, what I do, oh, no, I'm sorry. This is my work focus mode. My work focus mode makes my home screen just a giant OmniFocus widget that is from a perspective. Because you can, OmniFocus features perspectives, which are basically mm-hmm. like saved searches that are, you know, so you, you kind of like could design them like a, like a custom email rule. And it's designed to look at any task that is available to me to be working on and that is within any one of the projects inside of my folder of Howard County Public School System related projects so yeah. it's basically like hey if, if i've designated i'm working on it today and it's related to work show me that perspective and so i've got a giant widget that my phone shows me of all the stuff that falls into that category and i really want OmniFocus to read your focus and when you open the app just show you a certain perspective related to that focus that'd be amazing well i mean you can have so i if i wanted to i could have the shortcut on my phone um, like nothing automatically happens on my phone when it detects that I'm in work focus other than like that the notification settings change. But if I did want it to happen, I could create a shortcut that would automatically just, you know, cause, cause OmniFocus does donate actions to the shortcuts app that open up to different. Yeah. And you could set up widgets that are the right perspective. And when you click on the widget, it open the right thing, but yeah, it'd be cool if, within the app if it did something kind of interactive with which focus, um, you're in. Oh, I lied. I do have uh, two other widgets on my rehearsal iphone screen um it's the do app and then the fantastic how apps just so i can okay. see like when my what time my next class is starting yeah um so that's that's nice uh when i'm in rehearsal mode my iphone shows me a clock the do app the a couple of other things like it puts some like musically specific like i only really ever use the iphone version of GarageBand if i'm playing a drummer track so it'll put GarageBand on the home screen uh the ipad i don't do much with but when I teach private lessons, um, my iPhone and my iPad change pretty drastically. Um, my iPhone 
actually just shows me so it basically just takes um, a craft widget because in craft I've got all my student documents so it you know shows me a giant um, widget of like tappable student names so I can tap in right into the you know the name of the student who I'm about to start working with and then I have a series of uh, HomeKit related shortcuts that I've put as home screen app icons on just this one home screen and so down there I've got the home ca- so actually a couple of these are not shortcuts um, I've got the nest app i've got the home cam app which shows me all the cameras in my home uh and then i've got a shortcut which will check whether or not the side door is locked or not because we've got a home kit lock mm-hmm. on that door that's yeah where the students kind of they kind of like come around to the side of the house and then go through the laundry room door and then walk straight down into the studio so that'll tell me did the previous kid like successfully oh it'll tell me is there's a sensor on that door too so it'll tell me did they close the door <laughs> is it shut tight and is the door locked and then I have two other shortcuts that will basically lock and unlock that door, depending on the status that I have received yeah. from the check door shortcut. And uh, so, you know, it's just a nice quick way to, like, see what's going on um, through cameras and lock and unlock that entryway. Uh, oh, and I put Fourscore on that. You know, four, I, like I said earlier, I never use the iPhone Fourscore app, but occasionally I'll just kind of be sitting in my chair and just, you know, want to comfortably hold my iPhone in my hand and follow along the music my students are playing. So I've got that there. I, you know, I've got like for recording podcasts, I do stuff too. Um, I've got, you know, cl- all my apps on my devices will automatically close. And then the ones I need will open like Audio Hijack, Zoom, uh, the show notes, in uh obsidian i'm sorry in craft in craft i'm sorry the outline file in craft will automatically open uh and then i have this like weird obnoxious fan that's really close to where i record that i have to turn off <laughs> when i record <laughs> so it, a reminder in do will generate every time i go into recording focus mode which will in two hours time start pestering me to turn back on that fan um <laughs> because it's uh-huh. in related to our radon situation it's not a fan it's a fan that's supposed to basically like you know keep like unhealthy uh stuff outside of our gotcha inside of our house so i can't like permanently you know it creates problems like if it's left off indefinitely or if it rains when it's off so okay anyway that's that's my that's my story of focus modes and automations very cool oh i've got a concert one too sorry yes (laughs) concert one you'll appreciate this i just had a concert last week i've got a concert focus that not only does it um it, it's like oh you know how like when you're in a like if you go to see the symphony you go into overkill mode you like like put your phone in airplane mode do not disturb and turn down the volume if oh, you're sure. like me anyway and yeah <laughs> so i so it does all of those steps and then it puts my my watch in uh movie theater mode yeah, which yeah. basically makes the screen black right um all in one tap um, that's cool yeah um just want to wrap it up with a few odd and ends uh quick note uh how are you using this on the ipad yeah i um I've gotten into a little bit lately, like sometimes it helps me to organize my very, very scattered thoughts with a legal pad and a pen. Uh, I have a a friend of mine who I used to have an old podcast with called The Class Nerd. His name is Craig McClellan, and he has been very slowly turning me into um, not a pen, like enthusiast, just like a guy who appreciates a good pen. Um, So I'll take my nice pen. pen and my, yeah, I love a good pen. Good fountain pen is a unique experience that we don't get anymore. Well, and I like to, you know, what when I'm like sitting down at my desk and being a little bit more um, methodical, I like to use a fountain pen. But I actually really like these. Um, I'm trying to remember what kind of gel pens I have. There's like this very specific kind of gel pen that okay. I really like yeah. uh, using at school. And I'll, it's, it's great on a legal pad. Anyway, so I'm like doing my legal pad thing. Sometimes I like to have that sort of like place for scattered thoughts. Um be digital and so two places that i'm experimenting with just sort of like capturing quick thoughts are in 
Obsidian, which has been mentioned before. And Obsidian is has a daily note, which is just a note, but it's associated with a day on a calendar. Um, it's just a really nice scratch pad for just sort of taking down ideas and then later remembering what day I took them down. Um, but then, of course, there's the iPad Quick Note, which you just swipe the Apple Pencil from the lower right corner mm-hmm. of the screen. And you can start scribbling. And for just super ephemeral ideas where I just really, really quickly need to start writing, that has been awesome. Um, it's so you'll combine Quick Note with the scribble feature as a way to get stuff down. Um, so no, I'll, I'll actually just handwrite if I use Quick Note. Okay, I'll usually gotcha. um, initiate it and then just use the pencil to you know just scribble using like the pen or the pencil tool. Um, but what's really nice is if something does become, if I do want it to be more permanent. Um, I don't even really like take the effort to save the note permanently into Apple notes. What I'll do instead is open up my obsidian daily note. And then, you know, you can now touch a piece of handwritten text and then drag and like select it as if it's like typed text. And right from within the quick note, I can just like long press the first letter of the first word I jotted down and then highlight, you know, a little bit of stuff I jotted down. And then I can pinch with three fingers together to copy and then I can tap into Obsidian's daily note and then expand it. Um, and you, you can copy as like types text and then just input types text into Obsidian. But you can also just like literally like copy the, a PNG file of your handwriting and then paste that into another app. So sometimes I'll like just paste a nice little PNG. I'll just, Obsidian will have some typed stuff. It'll have some handwritten stuff. And it all just looks you know exactly the same way I put it in Apple Notes. Um, but Apple Notes is just quicker to get to because it's a, a simple swipe of the yeah. Apple Pencil. No, that's cool. And uh, do you use Scribble at all? Um, that conversion uh, tool within iPad OS. I like I like using it when the iPad is just being held in my hands and mm-hmm. I'm searching for something really quickly. Like that's a good one. Like if I'm standing near a student and I'm holding Fourscore on the iPad and I need to find whatever page they're about to start on, I'll just like scribble in the search bar, the name of the piece they're working on and gotcha. then tap it with the Apple pencil from the search results. Nice. Um, video editing is uh, LumaFusion something you do much with this, uh, uh, recently at least. It was definitely like an app I was just getting into right at the peak of my iPad is, you know, life yeah. period. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, and it was cool. I paid for the little in-app purchase that will let you move it to find a uh, LumaFusion project into Final Cut. That mm-hmm. works pretty well. Uh, and then once the Mac became, you know, like uh, LumaFusion will only, at least as of last year, will only do six videos at once. And, you know, I have a, a friend who teaches choir who was, you know, doing one of these like virtual choir videos during, you know, when school was, was virtual. And, you know, he really liked LumaFusion because his iPad was his preferred kind of like around the house device. And so he was like staying up late hours editing this video and he actually liked LumaFusion so much more than the alternative that he was willing to put up with this awkward six video limitation. But what he would do is he would make uh, a six person grid and then export that video and then take all of these six person exported videos and then import those into one final okay. LumaFusion project. Which sort Yeah, of that'll get uh, much better all. soon um, with the multicam. I think you'll be able to have quite a bit more than six simultaneous videos that you're editing between to output to a single then timeline um, for multicam support, similar to how Final Cut Pro 10 does multicam. I really, it's just also like, for, given how powerful powerful it is there's something about ios as a platform but also just a lot of ios apps where i feel like and and this is hopefully going to change now that i have the m1 processor because part of it is definitely the processor but some of it is also just design like ipad apps feel more brisk to me and getting 
in and out of a LumaFusion project does not have the same, it doesn't carry the same weight that I feel when I open up Final Cut Pro. So I don't know. I, for, for simple projects, sometimes I'll prefer LumaFusion. Like yeah. I, some, every now and then we'll record myself playing a couple of different parts on a marimba of like a Bach three-part invention. And like that's an infinitely more fun kind of thing to edit on an iPad than Got it you. is on a Mac. Yep, for sure. And then uh, PDF Expert, how do you use this app? It's an app that I love so much and have a lot of things to say about it, probably more than there's time for it. But okay. I will say that it is an app that is, it's my default PDF app on Mac. And it, you know, it, one of the many things, but towards the top of my list of the many things I would love to see iOS do in the near future is like have some sort of more robust feature for default apps, um, like maps and, and you know, the, what are, what's the other one? Oh, the web browser, web browser and email. Um, Sorry, not not maps. Email, email, and web browser are two categories of apps you can now set a default. Uh, and you know, if you think about like the Mac, the Mac also allows you to set a default email and a default web app. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, web uh, web browser. But it also allows you to set a default calendar app, and it allows you to set like when people have these conversations any, about any file apps, type. Right, exactly. I never hear file type in the discussion when I hear other people talking about default apps. But what I'm looking for is not just like, yeah, let me choose. Yeah. Are, are there file types on iPad? That's the question. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like not just let me choose Google maps when I tap an, uh, you know, uh, an address, but let me say to my iPad, no, don't open the, I, the PDF in the files app, open it in PDF expert. Um, that would give me, well, it would solve a lot of weird buggy behavior in the files app, but it would also get me using PDF export expert a whole lot more yeah and you you do a lot of annotating within that or what's your main use of it i it's just like it's just way prettier and easier to use gotcha. um i yeah. do like annotating on it i do i do like how markup on um like if you open a pdf in the files app you can i'm pretty sure you don't need to go into an annotation mode to just start scribbling with the apple pencil so you th- don't there's definitely no. like a fr- yeah it's like friendly and easy but what i like about pdf expert is one of the things i commonly do is scan like a whole bunch of music and then like um, like extract, like I'll take like the first three pages. Let's say that that's like a flute part. I'll extract, I'll like highlight those and extract them as a new file. And then I'll grab the three pages of the oboe part and extract that as a new file. The interface for looking at all of the pages of a document and then like quickly rotating and cropping and extracting them is to me far easier to use in PDF expert than in preview. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. It's really, really nice. It's a well-made app. And then finally, uh, the original Pixelmator that doesn't get much love uh, these days. I still use it um, to produce thumbnails for YouTube for this podcast, and it's a it's a great little tool that I wish uh, got more updates. Yeah, I I make little promotionals for like I'll do um, once a month. I'll go live on my Twitch for um you know and my patreon subscribers can kind of like join me on a zoom call live for that but then other people can just kind of like comment on twitch and you know when i'm promoting one of those i'll make like a little social sharing picture um you know i do a lot of the social sharing graphics and banners for my blog posts and podcast episodes i'll do that in usually in pixelmator pro on the mac but um, Pixelmator, like standard on iPad, is really good. You know, it has like the features are just like really buried. But once you start digging around, you you find that like it really does so much of what the actual Pixelmator experience on a desktop does. Yeah, I love the magic eraser where it's like erasing the similar color type thing. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, you can do so much with it. it you know, and it was the other day I was making a, a promo for you know one of these little live sessions I was doing and. I was like, well, I mean, I'm sitting here in my kitchen and I've got my iPad on the table and my Apple Pencil. Let's just 
see where this can go. And all of a sudden, a few minutes later, I had something that looked just as good as what I would make on the Mac. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's cool. You just, you have to dig for stuff because, um, it's not like, um, like the iWork apps kind of have like a right sidebar area that you can expose where it's got a lot of options. And uh, with Pixelmator, it, you kind of have to drill down into stuff more. But it's, it's all there, you know, yeah. um, adding effects, stylizing text, changing the, you know, the border and the drop shadow of text, um, layers, all of it's there. Yeah, it's a great app. So uh, anything we haven't touched on that you'd like to before we wrap it up? I mean, we, we covered so much. I guess just the home screen on the iPad is just always an experiment. I mean, right now it's calendar, <laughs> right. the, a, a giant, you know, I've got like a large sized calendar, Apple calendar widget and um, OmniFocus forecast view with all my to-do tasks for the day. I've got a little carrot weather widget, a little Squarespace widget, uh, a Google Drive search widget, and then I really like the big files app widget that just oh, that's shows great. you like like yeah, I like the really really giant sized one and I have a stack of them um where one is um like I don't know how many does it show you like about like 12 or so files that are um on one of my widgets it's like recent files and then if I swipe it it'll show me the desktop which yeah. because I have iCloud desktop syncing on, if I like do, I'm working on my Mac and like add some stuff to my desktop, I can just hop on over my iPad and then right on my home screen, I'll see like recent documents that have been added to the desktop on my Mac. And the trick is if they're downloaded to your iPad, you can actually drag those file icons and they are draggable icons to do stuff with. Right right from the widget? Yep. This is exciting to know. They this, have to be downloaded to the iPad already. Right. <laughs> so um, I'm not sure if there's a setting to say all desktop files just download automatically to iPad. I'm not sure if that exists yet, but uh, this. Yeah. This is, I swear that someone in Apple knows or knew that because, cause that to my knowledge is not currently a feature every, every year that there's a WWDC, I look on that keynote slide where they show like all the like little tiny features they're adding every single year. I take a picture of that screen real fast and I'm like, please tell me that there are new iCloud features for the Mac. Please tell me yeah. new iCloud features. Cause the one thing other than Dropbox still being way easier. Oh to yeah. Use Many years on ago, a, there was that feature in the betas of like download X folder or file or make sure it's always downloaded. And that still hasn't uh, returned. yet. Exactly. Right. And I think they actually call it something weird, like pinned files, not yeah, pinned. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean, what I want is the thing that Dropbox says, which is just like, Hey, just like tell us which, which folders and files do you want us to permanently, no matter what, keep in like local on the device and the fact that iCloud in the, the current year <laughs> doesn't have this feature is almost it's nuts the entire reason why I got a four terabyte instead of a two terabyte Mac yeah <laughs> because I'm so tired of like fussing with those features and like clicking that little cloud download icon like to me I'm like oh just give me everything just have it all literally oh, absolutely on the device. Uh, Devon think is great for that because uh, you can just say download all Devon think and it's on your iPad right exactly and Devon Think does a cool thing where it like puts your Devon Think content in the files the files app. There's yeah, like a you have like extension. a double. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a double access. That's an interesting thing that hasn't come to the Mac yet because like uh, there's definitely like Apple has made the way that file extensions on the Mac and on iOS work. Like they've they've made it more similar over the years, but like on the iPad, PDF Expert has sort of like a general like dumping ground mm -hmm. that like if by default if you open a pdf in it it'll go to this like sort of like dumping ground like local that's just stored local on the yeah, device like a little but inbox if you thing. go exactly right and if you go to the files app you can actually like see in the sidebar there's like an extension that'll show you that area of pdf expert i don't know there's just nothing like that on the mac yeah but i guess super pdf cool. expert it is cool it is cool I, you know what i i'm actually now that you're 
making me remember this. One of the apps I'm excited to download on um, this M1 Mac is actually Documents by Readle. Because yeah. I, it's just kind of a cool productivity app that mm-hmm. I like on the iPad to use. You know, I just like its model. Yeah. It has a lot of different uses. Like, it, it's super flexible. Right. I dig it. Cool. Yeah. I think that's it for me. Where can people find your awesome podcast and what you're up to? Sure. So, uh, RobbieBurns.com is is everything. Um, I, I do, you know, my blog and my podcast is musicedtechtalk.com. Uh, but that's just like, uh, you know, a, a URL. It'll, it basically is pointing people to RobbieBurns.com slash blog. Um, ev- everything about my professional career and music and teaching life is all over there at RobbieBurns.com. Um, MusicEdTechTalk.com takes you to a feed of all of my blog posts and podcast episodes. But of course, the blog and the podcast episodes can be subscribed to in any podcast app or like RSS app um, and, you know, uh, fed directly to one's device. And um, I publish about two episodes a month. Uh, and, you know, I try to blog. Lately, I'm, I'm doing less like short newsy kind of posts and more like thoughtful, long, long form kinds of things. Um, so that's that's where I am on the web. I'm on Twitter at Robbie Burns, uh, YouTube and Twitch. Uh, I stream my live stuff, but I also do occasionally post some tutorial videos uh, to mm-hmm. my YouTube. Um, uh, it, I, I'm sad to say that my uh, I am most popular on TikTok. I have more followers on TikTok than <laughs> any of the places I actually want to have followers okay. because yeah. of a relatively viral video I did last year of me playing all the different percussion parts to Leroy Anderson's Sleigh Ride. Um, so, something every band kid will remember from high school or middle school. <laughs> so, oh yeah. Um, if you want to see a once a year uh, post of me playing some percussion <laughs> that's that's my average so far is one once a year so um what else what else do i have on the web um you know i've got my patreon um where, you know i've got a discord for music ed tech talk enthusiasts who want to support the show and just have a uh, great and lively discussion about all things education music and tech and um th- those those are the places on the internet that i dwell very cool well, thank you so much, Robbie, for your time. It's, uh, once again, uh, just a great uh, time chatting with you. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure. Thanks so much for this opportunity, this, this like brief break in this chaotic concert week to just kind of nerd out about fun apps and software. Absolutely. Well, that's my interview with Robbie. Make sure to check out his work over at RobbieBurns.com. And my thanks to Robbie for his time recording this episode. And my thanks to you for your time and attention tuning in. As a reminder, you can support this podcast over at Patreon.com slash iPadPros or by becoming a paid subscriber over on Apple Podcasts. My thanks to everyone who supports the show. And with that, I'll talk to everyone again real soon. Thanks for listening.